0: Take your Bibles again, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. i will be reading the entire chapter. It's brief, but it provides the context that's important as we look at singularly that one little verse, verse 9, concerning our Lord. As I said earlier, some of the richest Christology you'll find in a single verse anywhere in the Bible, and it's plopped right there in the middle of a little chapter that's about sacrificial given and and so we're not going to be looking at that aspect of it as much as we are uh, what the ground is, what the basis is for our worship to the Lord that is all that we do again let me remind you this is not the words of men, mere men these were holy men as Peter tells us who were moved by the Holy Spirit never speaking anything on their own, but only that which the Lord gave them. Now, brothers and sisters, we make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and Beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they gave first themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well but just as you excel in everything, in faith, speaking, knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you also excel in this gracious work. I'm not saying this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love as well. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter for this is to your advantage who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do, but also to desire, but now finishing doing it also, so that just as there was the willingness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability For if the willingness is present, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. This is not for the relief of others and for your hardship, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance will serve as assistance for their need, so that their abundance also may serve as assistance for your need, so that there may be equality. As it is written, The one who has gathered much did not have too much, and the one who had gathered little did not have too little. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnestness in your belief in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We've sent along with him the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel is spread through all the churches. And not only that, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, and to show our readiness, taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift, for we have regard for what is honorable. Not only in the sight of the Lord, For we have regarded for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of other people. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Father, thank you for your word. We ask you to bless it now to the changing of our hearts, for the salvation of some, for the sanctification of all your people. In Christ's name we pray, amen. A few weeks ago we sang let all mortal flesh keep silence. You may have noticed, and I hope you do when you open the hymnal uh, and you look down at the bottom, I hope you noticed perhaps who wrote it or at least when it was written. That's important. Uh, Even in our good Trinity hymnal there's, there's some that you look, and if you find out who wrote them, you're like, why does that, that doesn't belong in here. And that's the reason we don't sing some of them. Even little ditty songs like It Came Upon a Midnight Clear that people sing with gusto this time of the year. Well, it's written by a Unitarian, not about Christ, not even about God. So why would we Christians sing it? You may ask, why is it even our Trinity hymn? Well, that's a good question. It shouldn't be. But that's. That's for another time. It just reminds us all that men make errors. <clears throat> Let all mortal flesh is not one of those that should be exed from it. It's a, it's a remarkably rich hymn about our Lord Jesus Christ. It was written in the year of our Lord during the 5th century. It's remarkable, isn't it? You probably noticed that when we were singing it. My wife reminded me of it as we were singing it that Sunday. Um, We've also sang already this month, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, If you look down at the bottom, you saw that that's a 12th century hymn, 1100s. And then, of course, we've sang a couple of Luther hymns on the Incarnation, Those would have been written in the 16th century. Um, Many of the songs of Advent, as they're termed, or on the incarnation, uh, are scattered all across the centuries from the time of our Lord to the present. But the one we're going to close with in a few moments is a a new kid on the block. It's only just appeared within the last 100 years, 1950s, in fact. It's a a hymn that's rich, marvelously rich in Christology. We'll enjoy singing it in a few minutes. It's based on this 2 Corinthians 8-9. The author of the hymn was a missionary at the time it was composed. A missionary in China. He was serving alongside of Eric Little. Some of you know that name. You've read biographies of his life. Uh, Some who are older, maybe not some of you younger people, um, but those who are older remember the movie Chariots of Fire. And if you cared about your children, you've had your children watch it with you more recently, not just on the big screen 100 years ago. But uh, he was for a time the, the president, the chairman of the China Inland Mission. It was founded by Hudson Taylor, one of the great stalwarts of the 19th century, uh, Christian century, the century of mission and evangelism. His name was Frank Houghton. He'd uh, later returned to England, be an Anglican uh, pastor of the uh, conservative Bible-believing sort. He who is rich beyond all splendor. Again, you probably notice right under the hymn title, when we turn there, in a few moments, you'll see the scripture that it's it's based upon. Second Corinthians 8, 9. He didn't miss it, Houghton didn't, as he read through this passage. Uh, he didn't just see it about Stewardship. He didn't just see it about us being faithful givers. You know, when you read it about yourself, sometimes you miss Christ, but he didn't. He saw Christ. He recognized that at the very heart of that passage, the Apostle Paul was shouting about Christ Jesus. He who is rich beyond all splendor. And so... We want to look at it. The context is about giving, and Paul, Paul, kind of hits below the belt, as we say. To these Christians, why shouldn't? Here's the essence of the of the chapter. Why shouldn't we give liberally? Christ gave more liberally. I mean, that's the thesis, if I were preaching the whole chapter, that's what he's throwing at us. Some people say, well, wait a minute. You know, you're kind of putting a guilt trip on him, Paul. He who was rich beyond all splendor became poor. And we're, you know, we're poor, we've become rich, and, and now we're supposed to be more liberal than others? Because Christ did, we ought to? You know, come on, Paul. He was God. And Paul was like, yeah, he was. And we're supposed to be like God. We're supposed to be imitators of Jesus Christ. So Paul doesn't back down. The whole chapter is right there. Because of who Christ is, because of what Christ did, because of all that Christ has given us, we're to be liberal. Not theologically, Okay, I don't want anybody going out with that sort of, yeah, we, Pastor Wilborn said we should be liberal. Well, no, not theologically, but we should be liberal in our giving and our loving other people. Well, let's look at these, these little points very quickly in this wonderful verse of scripture That some people would miss and not think of at Christmas time, but here we are on Christmas Eve, spending it where we ought to, looking at Christology. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. The Lord Jesus was rich. He who is rich beyond all splendor. What does it mean that he was rich? It certainly can't refer to his, his earthly life, right? His earthly status at any time, really, of his life, from beginning to end, was anything but rich, as we think of rich or wealthy. Now, I realize if you've, if you've tuned in to any health, wealth, and prosperity Uh, I'll just say this because it is a it's a Christological problem that they have any health wealth or prosperity heretic on radio or television you've heard them try to argue that no in fact Christ was very rich that's why they had to have a treasurer for the disciples and on and on they go with nitpicking to show that he was rich and that he was wealthy and that he lived the high life. Even our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who was, I'll remind you, not able to have housing in Bethlehem like a rich person, nor did he live in a rich person's home, that of a carpenter we're told in Matthew thirteen fifty-five. That would have been one of the lower class of the day. But he said this, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I remember when I was a child, that used to be one of those tearjerker verses for me. I think I had a softer heart back then than I do now. I read a verse like that and I just, tears would well up in my eyes. My Lord Jesus, the Savior, didn't have any place to sleep. And I've got a good bed. I thought, man, we don't have anything. And he had less than we have. Okay, so in life, he was not rich. What's Paul getting at here when he says, though he was rich, Well, he he's wanting us to understand just what we read in John seventeen. Now, Father, Jesus says, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Philippians two, six, we have Paul giving commentary on that when he says that, that our Lord Jesus Christ existed in the form of God, even though he came and took on the form of a servant. But never miss, Paul puts those side by side, running co eternally as it were. He was in the form of God and yet he took the form of man. He didn't lose the form of God to take on the form of man, but he was form of God in form of man. Just what we confessed earlier. God nature, human nature. Yet they didn't converge. They didn't get mingled up together. They just were in one person Christ Jesus. He was rich. And because He was rich. We can read things like this from Paul. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, invisible, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's why Paul could say to the Corinthians, he who is rich. Because he's the one who... Who was before it all he was the one who made it all He is the one who holds it all together do you know i was looking this up i preached from this text uh many years ago now it's interesting i don't feel like i've been here all that long but I, i've been here long enough to where some of these passages i revisit on special occasions i look and and i'm like whoa that was a long time ago at that time, I was, I, was, I was looking this up. At that time, the world's wealth in U.S. dollars, this was about 10 years ago, the world's wealth was $278 trillion. I don't know how they figure this, but they, they do. China's world wealth estimated in 2021 was almost that much the world's wealth in 2021, the last time they have figures, 578 million, or trillion, I'm sorry. Say so, wow. Yeah, but here's the real wow. As much as that is, Jesus is richer. The psalmist put it in agricultural terms. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. To the mind at that time, that meant that he owned everything as far as you could see. Let's do it Psalm 103. How far does he forgive our sins? How far does he cast our sins away? As far as the east is from the west. As far as you can see and you can't see to the end of it. And that's how wealthy, that's how rich our king Jesus is. He's the king of it all. That's the reason Paul could start here by saying he who is rich. He possessed it all. He was rich beyond all calculations. He's the sovereign mind that thought, it all. He's the sovereign mind who did it all. He's the sovereign mind that controls it all. He redeems it all in his way, in his time, and he eventually, we're told, shares it all. You say, does the Bible say that? Yeah. If you're in Christ Jesus, we're told that we have been made heirs and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. That's remarkable to think about. From a human perspective, now I realize salvation is a spiritual thing. It's a supernatural thing. But from a human perspective, who wouldn't want to be heirs and co-heirs with Christ Jesus, the King of eternity? The one who made it all, who controls it all, who sustains it all. Who wouldn't? Well, you say, we believe man's dead in his sins. He doesn't think that way. That's right. That's the answer. That's why, humanly speaking, people don't run to Christ. But supernaturally, that's every reason in the world to run to Christ, isn't it? He gives us eyes to see the kingdom, and he gives us the desire to enter the kingdom when he changes our hearts. That's part of his dispensing of his riches, changing us and making us different. Well, he goes on in this passage to say something else. He was not only rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. He didn't just. Remain aloof. He didn't just remain above it all. He became poor. From riches to rags. Now if we're doing shorthand here, I don't have to. I've got a little more time. But if we were doing shorthand, we would say this is about the humiliation of Christ. We might also, to put it another way, we might say it's it's, uh, it's not just about from, from riches to poverty, and now we're talking about poverty. We'd say, we'd say something like this. It's, without poverty, there's no, there's no wealth. To be more historically, theologically oriented, no cross, no glory. Christians live in an age that's all about glory. And that's what drives so much of the bad theology today is we we don't like the theology of the cross. That was at the heart of the Reformation. We don't like that because that's about death. That's about sacrifice. That's about poverty. But I remind you that our reforming fathers and those before them, the early church fathers, those since them, have reminded us if there's no cross, there'll be no glory. That was true of Christ. If it's true of Christ, it's gonna be true of us. We shouldn't expect a life of ease. We shouldn't expect, Jesus says, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you. So we shouldn't expect anything less. And that comes in variety of colors. We've already seen by worldly standards, he was not rich, but he left his riches behind in his eternal abode with the Father and became poor. Philippians 2, again, reminds us that he refused to hang on to his riches, but... Here's what we're reading. Emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, that's the poverty that Paul's referring to right here. Paul now is giving us commentary in Philippians chapter two On this shorthand that he gives us right here in in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he who was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Notice, it's for our sake that he became poor. It was not a necessity of his nature. It was a necessity of our nature. Our lostness, our being dead in transgressions and sins, our being children of wrath, children of the evil one. That's why he became poor. He subjected himself to the humiliation of this world and the sin that exists in this world and indeed runs this world. He subjected himself for that voluntarily for our sake. Again, I'd ask, humanly speaking, why would you not follow a savior like that? Well, it's because you're dead. And if you're sitting here right now, bored to death with this sermon, it's because you're dead in your sins. And you're needing the Holy Spirit to change your heart and draw you to himself. Again, don't use your false profession when there's no true possession of saving faith. He descended. He came down, took on poverty, lived in... That's shorthand, by the way, for taking our place in life and in death, that we might not suffer the pangs of hell, the destruction of eternal perdition. He subjected himself to poverty in life and in death, even death on the cross. He talked about this in a parable in John 12. We looked at this months and months and months ago now as I was working through John. Remember the parable? The grain. He told this story about this grain of wheat. Unless that grain of wheat dies and it's put in the ground, is buried, it'll only be what you see. But when it's buried, and it takes on life, it germinates, and it bears much fruit. That's the story of Christ. He's the grain of wheat. He's the, this is taking Jesus, is taking us back to the grain offerings of the Old Testament. He's the grain offering. And with that grain offering comes much benefit to those who are the beneficiaries of it. Those who are who are receiving the benefit of it, the lost and the dying. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's that fruit? Well, in short, it's salvation. It's the redemption from our sins. It's the pardon of our sins. And it's adoption as sons and daughters that we might be heirs and co-heirs with our great King, Jesus. He was rich, he became poor for our sake so that we could, who were poor, could be rich. That's, That's wonderful news, that's the good news. He who was rich became poor so that we who were poor could become rich. Rich in Christ. Heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. One of those covenant blessings in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, Jesus was looking beyond the physical earth there to the new heavens and new earth that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22, where there is no more sin, where there's no more death, there's no more mourning, no more crying, because we're in the presence of the one who's rich. He who was rich became poor, and then he became rich again. Actually, he never ceased being rich. But he simply resumed his place. In John, the glory which you have given me, Jesus prayed, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. That's that's in the end what salvation is, is in a nutshell, isn't it? That we might be glorified with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and we might be one with them, united to the Godhead. Not the Godhead, we don't become God, we don't become little gods, but we share in those wonderful benefits and blessings that they pour out upon us as heirs and co-heirs of our great God. Here's what we're going to sing in just a few minutes. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake becamest poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender. Sapphire-paved courts for stable floor. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake becamest poor. Thou who art God, beyond all praising, all for love's sake becamest man stooping so low, but sins, sinners raising heavenwards by thine eternal plan. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake, becamest man." Do you believe this? This is the good news. If you believe this, you're rich in Christ Jesus. If you believe this, even though you are maybe sick, by his wounds you'll be healed. Though you die, you'll be raised on that great last day. That's the good news. That's Christmas, Christian style. Let's celebrate it that way. Amen? Thank you, Father, for your wonderful message of the one who was rich beyond all splendor. May we enjoy him today and every day in Christ's name, amen.